It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. And tonight I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Kathy Vartuli. Kathy is a sex-positive emotional freedom coach who has taught internationally on relationships, communication, and body image. She helps the shy and awkward leverage, leverage their individual unique strengths to flirt, date, enjoy sex, and have powerful relationships. Kathy is also a best-selling author and has a Ph.D. in engineering. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thanks so much, Timothy. It's great to Really be glad here. to have you here. Yeah, great. So, Kathy, I want to start out by just asking you how you got interested in non-monogamy. It was kind of a journey for me. I had uh, I actually reached out to a dating coach because I hadn't been dating for 14 years because I'm a bigger person. I thought I had to lose weight before I could date. And the coach I reached out to happened to be polyamorous. And the first time I went to his website, I was terrified. I saw polyamory and I ran away. Um, and a few months later, I realized nothing had changed. But I needed to do something. And that I reached out to him again, and he was really helpful. A couple of weeks later, I was out dating and having a, a really, uh, really moving forward with my life. And the more I talked to him, the more I understood that I really liked the freedom of having, you know, being able to not get all my resources met by one person and being able to explore relationships with several people, that it really fit for me. But I was really scared of it when I first heard of it. Hmm. Wow. So within a couple weeks of, of seeing this coach, you were already out there dating? I was. He's really good. And also, um, it was kind of funny because I'm a big person. I said, no one would want to date me. And he said, well, I think that's what you need to put at the date, top of your dating profile, that you're a big person. And he said, uh, I said, well, no one will go out with me if I do that. And he said, well, you're kind of scared of dating anyway. So if no one calls, then you don't have to go out with them. And I'm like, huh, that's the logic. <laughs> and so I did. And always before I'd been really kind of bland and trying to be what other people, I thought other people wanted me to be. And when I was really forthright, I'm like, I'm a big person. If you don't want to date big people, please don't bother messaging me. People were, it was amazing. People were like, oh my God, you're so self-aware and accepting. I really want to get to know you. And I was like, this is the opposite of what I thought it would be. Uh, it was really fun to get to meet people that were looking for a whole human being rather than someone look, that fit into the cookie cutter of what a lot of people are look, you know, told to look for. Exactly. And how long ago was that, Kathy? Um, this was almost seven years ago now. So I spent cool. I spent uh, 14 years not dating because of my beliefs and. Um, now I have as many dates as I want to fit in my schedule, which is really wonderful. And my weight hasn't changed. Wow. I weigh 320 pounds, and I'm just myself. And some people don't have a preference for that, and that's fine. And some people just want to go out with really cool people. And most of the time, I think I'm pretty fun. 
That's awesome. And so after seven years of, of dating in an open kind of way, um, what did you discover about yourself as far as like how, because there's an infinite number of ways to do non-monogamy. So uh, yeah, yeah. some people like to be more swingers. Some people like to just have a few lovers. Um, some people like to lean in yeah. and have poly family. There's so many different kinds of ways to do it. So what did you discover about yourself, how you like to do it, and what was your journey to get to that knowledge? Um, it was a process of trying things out. Uh, you know, I had always had this belief that I think from watching too many fairy tales as a child that just the right thing would fall in my lap. But a lot about learning about yourself is experimenting and finding out what doesn't work. So I found out that sadly I'm not very slutty. I go to play parties with some friends and I'm like, I don't know your last name or your middle name or if you have any pets. <laughs> There's no way I want to get sexual with you. Um, and it's it's kind of frustrating because a lot of my friends are like, hey, you look interesting, let's fuck. And I'm like, mm, let's sit and eat cheese and talk for a while and, and see if, we, if uh-huh. there's an energetic, like an emotional connection. So for me, that's really important to have the kind of uh, a love relationship, a, a heart-centered relationship. I don't consider myself a swinger at all. I have to have a connection with someone for my body to want to be closer to them. Um, mm-hmm. And it was part of that was trying it out and trying like getting halfway through, like making out with someone and going, this isn't working. I don't know you well enough. Um, and also t- talking to a lot of people, there's a, I'm really lucky now I live in the, the Bay area. So there's a ton of different people walking around with different relationship styles. Um, but I do know when I lived in Dallas for a long time, I didn't have a lot of people to talk to or, to kind of try things on with. And it's been really fun being out here for the last three years, getting to hang out with people and going, oh, solo poly is that? Oh, that's not me at all. And just trying out different things to find out where my where I feel content and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so now how many lovers would you say that you have on a regular basis? I have two regular lovers and a few others that, you know, we connect when we're in the same town kind of thing. I'm not currently mm-hmm. dating, like, romantically. I'm not, I'm dating, but there's no romantic partner in my life right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I, where the border, border, borderline between lovers and romantic partners is, is kind of a gray area for a lot of people. Got it. Well, thank you, Kathy, for being so transparent about that. It's really interesting. And I'm like you. I, I tried going to play parties for a long time, and I just never yeah. really fit into that kind of, you know, casual recreational sex kind of theme. And I don't judge other people who enjoy that, but I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? No, Why can't I do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always like, I, I, I like, I really like the person before I have sex with them. And then when I have sex with them, I like them even more. And then I wonder why they don't call me the next yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, we had something good there. Why wouldn't we repeat this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I I like to play parties for the great conversations. Yeah, exactly. And we have sex positive people and you can just be yourself and not have to edit anything you say. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So I want to dig a little deeper into um, how you transformed your body image about yourself, because I think that that's a really common thing and not just for larger bodied people, but you know, I have, I wouldn't be considered a larger body person and yet I still have body image issues and I have issues around my age and thinking I'm too old to go to a particular party or date somebody. 
Um, so I'd love to hear more about how a positive body image affects dating and relationships and how you got there. Um, I think it has such a profound effect. I think that shame is not sexy. And for the longest time, I thought that it was the weight that was keeping people away that, you know, I, people just found the weight disgusting. And I really think, you know, there are certain people that just, that is not their preference at all for someone to be, to be bigger. And that's fine. We're all about our, our sexual desires do not have to be politically correct. We get to like what we like. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, a lot of us are indoctrinated and, and kind of brainwashed by media so that, you know, I prefer to be with someone who's conscious about their preferences rather than just going along with what media says. Um, but I think it's not so much the weight as the, to- the shameful toxicity of like hating yourself. And so many of us are brought up to do that. Like, you know, even young girls are taught to like pick on, oh, my skin isn't good enough. I have some hips. I have this. Like we're taught to tear our body apart and hope that if we beat ourselves up enough, we'll suddenly conform and look like the models you see on TV and in the, in the magazines. When the really sad part is nobody looks like that. They're photoshopped. People don't actually look like that um, mm-hmm. for the most part. And there are, there's, you know, the, the, 0.01% of the people that look similar to that before the photoshopping, you know, that I've worked with some people that are really conventionally beautiful as a coach and they have as many issues and as many fears, if not more than the average person, because they're mm-hmm. so often so valued for their looks that mm-hmm. I had a friend that was, you know, like she had two ounces of cellulite on her tummy. She's like, I can't go to the beach. And I'm like, I weigh 320 pounds. I'm going to the beach. If you want to come, and she's like, no, I'm going to stay home. I'm like, I'm going out having fun. So um, I think it's the toxicity, the shame of, of hating yourself. It's really distasteful. It's hard to be around. And it was, a, it was a journey. I didn't get there overnight. I had to work through a lot of, um, I have an abuse history. I was sexually abused as a child. So there's a lot of shame from that as well. And um, when I became a teenager, I started gaining more weight. Um, and, you know, I said, look back at pictures of me, and I'm like, I thought I was fat then, and I was, like, very conventionally slender. But um, the, the toxicity and the shame was so deep that I couldn't see myself or love myself, and it just really affected how much I enjoyed life, how connected I felt that was around people. I always felt like I was holding myself back from other people and from life because I was afraid that there was something about me that would repulse them or make them want to run away from me. And so I was really never present with people. I was like constantly watching them to see if they were going to judge me or, or be mean to me and also withholding my energy and my love. And so the relationships I, I was in, I was in, in relationships with some really amazing people, but I don't feel like I was ever really there, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, I remember, um, you know, as I said, I, I've, people would consider me as, you know, having a, a normal to slender type of body. But in my head, I didn't look like a supermodel, so there was something wrong with me. And I remember early in my relationship, yeah. my lovers would, like, put their hand on my hip or my belly. And because I thought mm-hmm. that there was too much weight there, I would tense up and freeze and think, oh, my God, they're touching me in that spot that's not beautiful and then it took me a while yeah. to realize, oh, no, they like the curves. They like feeling my womanliness. That's why their hand is there. <laughs> it took a while to get It feels good that. to their hands, the softness. 
yeah. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) And when we pull away like that, even a little bit energetically, even if we're not physically pulling away, when we're kind of withdrawing ourselves from that, one, we miss the joy of the touch, this beautiful touch of someone caringly, lovingly touching us. And we also, the other person can feel it, like even if it's subconscious, there's just like there's some kind Mm -hmm. of tension or discomfort there that can get in the way of a beautiful relationship. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate you working on this issue. It's dear to my heart, and I appreciate your transparency around it. Um, So can you share a little bit more about what did you do specifically to start to overcome the shame about your body so that you could allow that that touch and that love to you know to be able to receive it yeah i'd be glad to um and again there's a there are a number of things i did and it was like baby steps going forward like for me i had mm-hmm. i was climbing out of a very a very deep pit for many other people it hopefully it isn't quite as far to go um, but one thing I did was I would stand in front of the mirror each night and I, my, my task was to find three things that I kind of liked about myself. I couldn't even mm-hmm. get so far as to say loved, but I would literally mm-hmm. have to stand in front of the mirror until I found three new things that I kind of appreciated about myself. And it might be mm-hmm. like the skin on the back of my hand is kind of smooth and it looks kind of nice. Or like my eyes are a nice color or, oh, my earlobe is in a bad shape. Like it was a challenge. <laughs> I had so much distance from my body. Um, so that was one of the things I had to do like each night. And it was like pulling teeth. But I was really determined to start working through the this huge shell that was blocking me from my connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, That's a great activity. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if you're with a partner or more, multiple partners, if you feel comfortable, asking them to say, can we, you know, spend 20 minutes together, just lie quietly together, and I'd love to hear what you appreciate about me and let it in as much as you can. Um, and one of the most powerful things I did, I've, I've read a ton of, I'm a PhD research scientist um, and turned relationship person because I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and kept studying and learning and coaching people. But... Um, I started watching TV with a sound off and I'd read a bunch of of material about how the, our brain is literally, we're literally brainwashed into thinking we have to look a certain way to be valuable. And the Mm -hmm. survival part of our brain, the older part of our brain is very focused on how much we conform to what, what looks good. Um, It wants to fit into our tribe. It wants to feel valuable because, hundred thousand years ago if you weren't valuable to your tribe and you got hurt they were just going to leave you behind maybe mm-hmm. so the survival part of our brain is like we must look good we must be valuable and desirable or we're in trouble mm-hmm. and um when we look at we're constantly bombarded on tv and media by how we should look they estimate there's 300,000 negative images of people who are bigger a year that a person sees between mm. TV, you know, or hears things, which is literally brainwashing. Mm. Um, and if you watch any of the popular sitcoms, just turn off the sound because I think that really helps. You'll notice that anyone who's a little bit larger or you were talking about being a little bit older, like those people are often, if you're not conventionally attractive and young, those people are often seen as a butt of the jokes, as foolish, not so smart, not so successful. And that's all linked. Our primitive brain is not, our survival brain, primitive brain is not super smart. And it 
constantly sees these things wait. And if we, it thinks that if we are not slender, we won't ever be loved and we won't ever belong. Mm-hmm. And so that shame mm-hmm. of not being good enough is really deeply held. It's in our, you know, it's in our body, not just in our brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I remember when I was younger, I was constantly on a diet and trying to be skinnier. And I noticed that when yeah. I would be able to, to stay at like below my normal weight for a period of time, I would attract men who wanted me because I looked like that. And then when I was back to my normal weight that my body wants to be, I would have better relationships with people who liked me for who I was. (laughs) So I realized that who you actually are gaining anything by being skinny. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, I think that there's nothing wrong with wanting our bodies to be healthy and wanting our bodies to, you know, people, humans all the time, we get tattoos, we change our hair color, I think if we're doing it because it is immediately what we want, that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. I think when mm-hmm. we feel driven out of fear and a desperation to belong, um, then we're, we're not working with our bodies. We're kind of beating them into submission. And I don't think that's healthy. Exactly. That's exactly what I was doing to my body when I was younger. I was beating it into submission. That's a good phrase. <laughs> Starving myself. Um, so let me ask you, this might be a tender question. Uh, apologize if it is, but mm-hmm. um, you brought up that you had were a survivor of sexual abuse as a child. And yeah. there's a, a common um, theme that people who've had child uh, sexual abuse put on weight to protect themselves so that they um, feel safe, so, so that you know, men or whoever their abuser is doesn't, you know, don't hit on them. Um, yeah. Have you heard that before? And does that ring true for you? What, what do you think about that? Um, I think it's a great question. I think it's an aspect of the reason I put on weight as a teenager. Um, my abuser stopped abusing me about a, a year or two before I started gaining weight. But I think there was so much fear around sexuality in my body. I just didn't feel capable of handling like to me, sex for a long time was something that was overwhelming and terrifying. So as I became a teenager and, you know, boys started getting interested in me and girls or, you know, at that point I didn't understand that girls could like you, but I was certainly attracted to them. Um, it was very confusing and I didn't really know how to deal with it. And there wasn't really support at that time. This is, you know, 30 years ago. Um, and so I really, I really struggled. And I think the weight helped me give an excuse that why I shouldn't connect with people. It gave me an excuse mm-hmm. to pull away from people because I could blame mm-hmm. the weight for the whole thing. Oh, no one will want me because mm-hmm. I'm heavier versus I have right. to deal with this actual person and my mom going, but you should go out with them. No one else has asked you out. You should go out with them even if I didn't like him. And it, it gave me a chance to, um, you know, try to, I try to appreciate the things that, Whatever we have in our lives, it's usually there because it will serve us in some way if we go deep enough. And mm-hmm. the weight certainly insulated me and protected me for a long time in ways that were really mm-hmm. useful for me. I didn't see it at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you again. I really appreciate your transparency around that. Um, so there's some conventional wisdom out there that people who have a lot of trauma in their background can't do open relationships. 
Um, but mm-hmm. it sounds like you're doing it very successfully. So how have you managed to do that? And how do you help other people who have a background in trauma if they, if they feel like they want to practice non-monogamy? How do you work with that? Um, yeah, thank you for asking that. I think that's something that's so core to me because with a lot of trauma, and I've worked with a lot of people who are traumatized as children or as adults with various things, I do think that having unresolved trauma makes it very hard to be in any kind of relationship. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's very challenging. Um, when we're in trauma, we're actually still, our subconscious is still dealing with the traumatic events as if they're still happening. So a lot of people with extensive trauma love flashbacks and they're not really reacting. They're not really acting, interacting with the people they're with. They're reacting to memories and triggers that are remembrances of what happened to them. And I do a lot of work with, we use um, somatic experience, uh, somatic approaches. One of those, my favorite is emotional freedom techniques. So we tap on acupressure points to release the old traumas. What happened is when we're traumatized, it gets frozen in our, our survival brain, gets actually literally frozen. I don't know if you've heard of fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, we have, if some, a bear comes after us, we have the option to run away if we can. If we can't run, we'll try to fight it. And if, you know, we can't fight it either, we'll freeze like a rabbit in the bushes. And animals mm-hmm. do that all the time. Unfortunately, humans are trained out of the release that comes. So if that rabbit survives, you know, the bear goes away and it doesn't get eaten, that rabbit will release the traumatic experience and it won't hold on to it. But humans Mm. are told, you know, don't cry, pull it together. We're actually, we shut down the release process after the trauma and it's stored. Um, And our brains are reacting as if it's really happening. So um, unresolved trauma can get in the way very drastically of relationships. If our partner says something that might, you know, we might be completely triggered when they all they were say, would you like a drink? And, and it reminds us of a time where something bad happened. It doesn't have to be logical. Our survival brain isn't logical. However, resolved trauma, once we resolve the trauma, there's studies shown, and I've seen this over and over in my own life and with other people, that the person can actually be more resilient after they released the trauma and resolved it. They're more aware. Mm-hmm. They can be actually stronger. Just like if you work out, you're kind of traumatizing the muscles and then letting them heal. It allows them to strengthen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And I can see how if somebody has not resolved their trauma, that it doesn't matter whether they're doing monogamous relationships or non-monogamous. Yeah. They're not going to be coming from a place of health and wholeness um so i can mm-hmm. see somebody wanting to be monogamous from a place of unresolved trauma where they want to have somebody be there for them prove they're lovable never ever leave them you know all that stuff yeah. that, that comes from that clingy abandonment issues and i can also see somebody coming coming to non-monogamy coming to open relationships from a place of trauma where um, they're too afraid to get too close to one person, so they kind yeah. of spread their love around to avoid deep intimacy with anyone in particular. Um, so if somebody yeah, no, is, a great reco- yeah, if somebody recognizes themselves in that, who's listening, if they think that they may, may be acting on unresolved trauma by dating numerous people and not really going deep with anyone, how would you suggest that they start to address that? 
just like any trauma, like if we're afraid of having multiple people in our lives or afraid of having just one person in our lives, I think the first step is realizing that anytime we're we're reacting, we're running from something. We're not really present with people in our lives. And that means we're not really being fulfilled or fulfilling to other people as much as we can be anyway. We might be part of the way there. Um, So just realizing that it's important to work through as much as we can and, um, we do a lot of work, again, with emotional freedom techniques around trauma, but identifying the fear. What is the fear? Why am I running from this? Why am I trying to avoid abandonment issues is a huge thing. Fear of trusting someone, relying on any one person. Um, that's a lot of what we work with. And there are a number of really good meditations, guided visualizations. Um, we, we have on thrivingnow.com, we have several programs where we help people through that. So there's a lot of roads to roam, so to speak. There's a lots of lots of ways to move forward with it. But identifying the problem and just being open to finding ways to release that. And part of that is just being with the fear and hopefully being able to communicate with your partners. Hey, I'm feeling really close to you right now. That feels really scary right now. I'm just going to breathe through it. I just want to let you know what's going on. And just being with the feelings rather than trying to run away from them. It can be really powerful, mm-hmm. and it can also build a deep intimacy when we're willing to share with our partners. It takes courage, but, you know, saying to someone that, hey, this is feeling really good and that's scaring me, that's very authentic, and that gives your partner permission, you know, to share their stuff too. I don't know anyone who doesn't have some kind of trauma somewhere. Like, most of us have fears. We could have been raised in the best household ever with people that loved us completely, and there's probably fears of rejection from the schoolyard or someplace else. Like we have source spots. Mm-hmm. Thank you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Kathy Vartuli, who is a sex positive emotional freedom coach. She helps people with body image issues um, and people who feel um, you know, in any way shy or awkward in the dating world, and she helps them become empowered to be able to flirt and date, enjoy sex, and have very powerful relationships. I'm really enjoying our conversation here. We're talking about recovering from trauma and being able to have healthy relationships, whether they be monogamous or non-monogamous. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Kathy, um, I know I, my sister once told me that I had a broken picker, meaning that I, I was picking partners that were unhealthy for me and that took a long time and I, I think I'm kind of still working on it where every time I, I look for somebody new to date I do my best to be very discerning and it's gotten a lot better as I've gotten older um, you know after menopause my hormones aren't running me as much and I can actually <laughs> slow down the dating process and decide yeah. you know look for the red flags talk to my friends about the red flags um, go really slow not jump into bed with them immediately because once I had sex with them, then I just wanted to do whatever it took to not lose them. Uh-huh. So how do you help people who've come from a trauma background to, to learn how to choose healthy partners who can have those kinds of conversations you were just talking about? Because if you feel really vulnerable and you want to share that with your partner that, you know, that triggered me a little, I need to be held or whatever, um, that's going to take a healthy partner who can really hold space for you and be there for you and love all of you. And I, I never could have chosen yeah. somebody like that when I was younger. So how do you, 
help people who come from a trauma background with broken pickers to find a partner that can do that for them? I love the question. Thank you so much for bringing it up and for sharing that vulnerable. It's vulnerable to say that. Um, and I've been there. I had for a while, friends were like, you are not allowed to date again unless we meet the person and we get to have veto power because we don't want to go through that mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the fact that I would pick people that are not good choices for me. And I think right. that, you know, hormones definitely have an impact on that. I'm, I'm the same way. If I've slept with someone, I want to bond and the oxytocin is going and I want to be in a relationship with them. But there's also a huge component of the subconscious, the, the, you know, the survival brain and the subconscious brain working on us. If we have unresolved issues, unresolved traumas, there's a tendency for our system to want to repeat what we experienced. So if we had a father that was somewhat passive aggressive and um, a little bit, uh, a little neglectful, we might seek that out very compulsively to re-experience it in the hopes of healing it. Like there's a part of us that just wants to resolve it. And I found Mm -hmm. it much more effective for myself and my clients if I see a pattern like that to go to do the work we do with the emotional freedom techniques where we actually go back and we do, we imagine working with, okay, if your dad was right in front of you, what would you say? Like resolve the issue from back then rather than reenacting it here and now so that we're not kind of drawn to the kind of people we really don't want to, be around. Um, and I also started picking better places to hang out. I started going, I run cuddle parties and um, I've gone to a lot of them. One of the things when you want to have people you can communicate with, you have to know that they'll have boundaries. They'll be able to say no or yes to you and that their they're no and yes means something. So if you go to your partner and say, I'd like to share something vulnerable, it's really useful if um, you know that each of your partners will be able to say, you know, I'm feeling really maxed out right now. Could you call one of the other partners or could you call a friend or a therapist? It really helps to know that everyone's able to take care of themselves. And that's one of the things I love about open relationships is that we're not limited to one person that we really are supposed to share everything with. I can go, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, you're busy. I'm going to go, I'm going to call somebody else. I'm like, great. I really support you and I'd love to talk to you more about it tomorrow when I'm less tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell um, tell me more about how cuddle parties helped you to find people like that. Sure. Um, do you know what cuddle parties are? I do. I just thought our listeners might want to understand why okay. a cuddle party would help you find people that are good communicators. <laughs> yeah, no, great. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure. Um, so there are an, an event uh, developed by Reed Mahalko and Marsha Buczynski, and they're international now. They're a 40-minute workshop where people practice boundaries. They get to practice with different people saying yes, no, and asking for what they want. And we go through the different ways. And we actually have people practice with different, with different people in the room. And it's really beautiful because people, I've had you know, women crying. Like, I've never actually used the word no with anyone before. Or no one's ever mm-hmm. said, heard me say no and been great, graceful about it. So we, you know, teach people how to handle rejection, handle disappointment, how to practice saying no with saying yes and asking for what they want. And then it's then we have a couple hours where people get to cuddle and um, practice that. So it's all about consent. And to actually practice that in a room builds really deep intimacy and um, a lot of trust. And you start getting close to people that are 
maybe outside of who you would normally be attracted to. I know in the past mm-hmm. it would have to be, like you said, that bad picker would go off and I would be mm-hmm. like, you, I'm really attracted to you. Let's get close. And I wouldn't let anyone else close. I was, it must be uh, hormones and the, and the really strong attraction were involved. I was too scared to let them close. And so mm-hmm. I think cuddle party is a great way for people to start building up the muscles of letting other people close and knowing that they can say, hey, that's close enough. I don't want this anymore. Or I'd like to change my mind. And I think it's just beautiful, a beautiful exercise for people and a way to find other people that are also interested in consent. Mm-hmm, right. So, yeah, I've been to cuddle parties, and it's more of a communication and consent workshop uh, as much as it is cuddling. Um, yes. And it's just kind of boring to call it a communication workshop, so it's actually called a cuddle party. <laughs> but... Uh, but, yeah, I think that's a really good tip for people that want to start finding better partners is to go to cuddle parties or any kind of a communication training where everybody there is learning communication. Um, it makes sense yeah. that you would find uh, find a healthier partner because they're out there working on themselves and learning how to communicate. Um, I learned a lot of this stuff in high workshops, Human Awareness Institute, mm. and I, I remember – a point in my life, I mean, a point in the workshop series that I went through where I got really clear that nobody can trust my yes because I can't say no. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So my yes wasn't authentic because I didn't have a no. And that was a huge revelation for me when I became aware of that. (laughs) I think it's really powerful to know you can trust so my business partners, my lovers, my friends, almost all of them have done cuddle parties. And I think we've all been at dinner or in a movie or someplace where the person didn't want to be there that we were with. And it just, it's not a fun feeling. And I, I love knowing the people that are close to me in my life would say, hey, I thought dinner would work, but I'm really having a miserable time. Can we do something different? And mm-hmm. it's because I can really relax and trust them when they're there with me because I know they're going to say, hey, this is working great, or this, you know, let's try modifying. I thought Mexican would be wonderful, and the chips were were fine, but the, you know, let's, can we go someplace else for dessert or whatever it is? Like, just the fact that we can communicate openly and that everyone has the space for that, it's really beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were talking earlier about um, when you first started practicing non-monogamy and, going to play parties and you'd be in the middle of making out with someone and going, this doesn't feel really good. So how did you get to the point where you could actually stop in the middle of that and tell somebody, this isn't feeling good. I need to stop. How did, how did you eventually get to the point where you could take care of yourself in that way? Cause we're trained, especially as women to not want to yeah. harm the fragile male ego or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, it's such a good question. Honestly, at first I didn't have, I, I didn't have the muscles to do it. I think of it as a muscle, the the ability to speak up. And the problem is most of us think that because it's hard, we're not destined to or we're not good at it. But if I sent someone to the gym that had never been to the gym before and told them to lift a 100-pound weight, they would feel like it was really hard too, and they might decide they were just not built for it. Speaking up is a practice. I um, There were times I made out with someone that I didn't want to because I didn't know how to say it but I as I went to more cuddle parties and I practiced more 
I would start by practicing with my cat and telling her, no, I don't want you to do this. And she would completely <laughs> ignore me. But <laughs> at least it was me practicing using those words. And then I had a friend, and I do this all the time now with coaching clients that don't have good nose. I invite them to go with a friend to lunch and you know prep this ahead of time where they get to say no to everything and then pause and they can change their mind afterwards if they want. But if they've never had a chance to say no, just, you know, someone's like, would you like the salt? No. Okay, I've changed my mind. I'd like the salt now. Um, just that practicing, and it can be very silly. Like, I've had one client, her daughter was really into it, and um, the woman was practicing her no, and her daughter's like, can I give you a million dollars? And her daughter was like, no. Or she's, her daughter asked her if she could give her a million dollars, and the woman was like, no. But, you know, they were playful, and they had a really fun time mm-hmm. with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, for me, it's not about being perfect. We don't always notice right away. There's a mixture of feelings in any of it. Like, this feels kind of good, and my leg is falling asleep, and I'm not sure if emotionally this is what I want. There's a whole mixture, and we're kind of balancing and weighing which feels right. I think it's about noticing as soon as you can and saying, hey, my leg is falling asleep. Can we shift positions? Wow, that was mm-hmm. fun for a little while, but I'm feeling a little bit like I want some space. And not everyone can do that right away. So what I tell people at my cuddle parties is it's perfectly acceptable to make an excuse if, rather than continue to do something that's not right for you. So it could be, I need to use the restroom. I need a glass of water. I need to get something to eat. There's, a, you know, make an excuse to get away so that you can breathe and then clear, clear things up. And so then on the converse of that, was it difficult for you to start hearing people's no um, I'm thinking about a particular situation that I had recently where I asked a whole bunch of friends to help me promote something for my business. And most of them yeah. said, yeah, sure. A couple of them said, um, no, I'm too busy right now. And at least one person said, no, I don't think so. Like with no, with oh. absolutely no reason or anything. So, um, yeah. you know, it stings a little when you hear that without any kind of softening, but I also appreciate their truth. So that took some work to be able to hear something like that. So how was that for you when you first started hearing other people tell you no when you asked for something? Um, Well, I was brought up in a family where nobody ever said no to anybody else. Like you hinted in hope Mm -hmm. and manipulated to get what you wanted. So once I realized that giving space for other people to say no removed that kind of manipulative, kind of creepy feeling that that I grew up with, it was mm-hmm. that made it easier for me, but it's still you like you said it it hurts sometimes to hear it. One of the things we do at cuddle parties we tell people um to reply, thank you for taking care of yourself or thank you for speaking your yeah. truth. And it kind of right. tricks our primitive brain. Our our brain is like going, Oh, we're saying thank you, it can't be that bad. Um uh-huh. and, and just we're allowed to have our feelings too. If we're disappointed, we're gonna survive. Like when we were three Mm -hmm. and we didn't get the pony from Santa Claus, it felt like we were going to die. (laughs) Most of us haven't realized that we are now adults and we can actually handle disappointment much better than that. Uh huh. Yeah. Thank you for that. I like that. Um, Thank you for speaking your truth or thank you for taking care of yourself. That's, that's great. Cause then when we say it, it's not, I'm really glad you said it that way because I've heard that before and I kind of thought it was just to, um, make them feel okay <laughs> but oh no like it's actually for us it's it's actually, it, to make our own brain yeah, yeah that's great yeah and Telling the nice thing pr- is I've done, yeah and it's not about it's not about manipulating but 
I've noticed this for myself and when I've used it for other people, like a genuine, hey, totally get your no, thanks very much. Um, the person goes away or I go away and sometimes it's like, oh, you know, that person was so cool. I'm actually more curious about interacting with them. We can't guarantee that. We're not saying to do it to be manipulative, but when you're genuinely okay with them, being a no, that people that are curious about consent are going to be like, that was really fun. I want to see more about this person. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And I didn't think we were going to go this far into consent, but I just have one more comment I want to say about that. When I was starting to practice speaking my truth, when I would tell men no, and this is either like in a workshop setting or dating, like when I started doing, yeah. you know, online dating or personal ad dating or whatever, um, I would have to, I really had to learn to say no because the majority of people that you meet, you're not going to be compatible with because it's the needle in the haystack kind of thing. So I would have yeah. to say, no, I don't feel enough of a connection with you to pursue a romantic relationship. Um, if yeah. the man took it well, then I would kind of be interested in possibly pursuing it more because he took the no so yeah. well. Whereas if he said, well, you're, you're an idiot anyway, or you're ugly anyway, or something, if he acted <laughs> like an idiot, then I would go, well, thank you for weeding yourself out. You know, that was, that was yeah, exactly. So for, some, for some reason, when somebody hears my no well, it makes it allows me to step toward them more. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you found that to I be true? Most of us, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I think that most of us have sore spots and most of us have been hurt and are afraid. So anyone that can be really present with us, um, isn't lost in their own thoughts about their body or their fears, um, and is gentle with our responses. Like, Hey, I'm really glad that you could trust me with your truth, even if it's not what I wanted to hear. Um, that's beautiful. Like, it's very attractive. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Makes it really safe to, because um, then you're trusting that person's yes. When they do say a yes, you, you know they mean it. <laughs> uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, that was really fun talking about that. Let's go back to talking about open relationships. Um, <laughs> so there, there's always the big J word whenever people hear about polyamory, open relationships. Um, they're like, well, how do you deal with jealousy? So in your coaching, how do you help clients with jealousy issues? Um, Well, I think that a lot of people, um, we have a program on jealousy as well, because for for myself, I was really wrapped up in it for a long time. I felt like I had to hold on to the person that I was in love with. And even as an open, in open relationships, I wanted to be the number one person in their life um, because it made me feel secure. The thing is, for me, jealousy is about insecurity. It's about not having all the needs met that we might have and, you know, we're feeling depleted and that there's not enough. There's a kind of scarcity mentality. And Mm -hmm. ideally, open relationships and polyamory is about abundance, about there being plenty Mm. for everybody. Mm. Um, And, you, I mean, obviously we're going to run into things where, okay, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only, only so much money for trips. There's only so much energy we have. So there are limits on that, you know, physical limits. But I think when we're not fighting ourselves and we're feeling really abundant, we have more energy. We have more focus and we can get things done faster and the more we feel fulfilled faster. So one of the things I teach is that if you're feeling jealousy, um, in spite of what we're brought up to be, where it was like, okay, it's your fault that I feel jealous you must fix it. You must not do certain behaviors so that I won't feel jealous. That gives all the power to someone else. 
and it doesn't give us any possibility of change. So if we can, I encourage them to notice, okay, what am I feeling insecure about? What can I do to take care of my own needs or what requests can I make so that my needs are met? It's not the other person's job to not um, do the things that make me jealous. We can have agreements where you shouldn't break agreements, but if you're just if you're talking to someone and I'm feeling jealous, that doesn't mean you shouldn't talk to people anymore. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just means that you have jealousy and that's your own emotional experience. And your partner can hold the space for it, but they don't have to change their behavior. Right, yeah. And identifying what the need is. There's often, um, rather than using jealousy as a sign that your partner is doing something wrong, which is like very conventional monogamous, I hear it all the time, like, he was so bad, he knew it would bother me, and he did it anyway, and I'm just like, there's no responsibility there. Instead, take it as an indicator light on the dashboard that there's something wrong. Just like if your check engine light came on, you'd be like, huh, I need to figure out what's wrong with this. What, mm-hmm. you know, if my if my partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, um, you know, whatever, I, 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 I consider myself pansexual. I date people that are pretty awesome. I don't really care. But it's like, what what am I noticing? What am I feeling insecure about? Is there something I need to work through? Is there a need I'm getting? Oh, I'm really jealous that he's touching her. I haven't felt enough touch lately. I'm going to throw a cuddle party. I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to ask my partner to cuddle me tonight. It's often a sign of a need, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the other person is doing anything wrong. But anytime there's a scarcity, our brain is going to go, that person's getting it. I'm not. There's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Thank you. And so what, what mistakes do you see people make who are entering open relationships for their first time? What are some of the common mistakes? Um, I think some people, especially if they're in a current relationship and they're opening up a relationship, they think that opening up the relationship is going to fix things, kind of like having a kid um, Mm -hmm. might fix a relationship for someone who's not willing to open up. Um, And so I I see people, one, thinking that it's going to fix everything and then it actually just brings them more, if if you don't have good communications and good agreements and a good relationship opening up is probably not going to make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for people that are, whether they're in a relationship or not, I see people like they're so excited and I totally don't blame them. It's the open concept for me was really delightful. It was like all this freedom, all these new ideas, but it is very different from how most of us are raised. And there's a lot of skill sets that we may not have and like juggling calendars and how do we juggle new relationship energy and, how do we not move in on the second date? Um, so mm-hmm. like taking it a little slow, I think, can be really useful. And it can be hard when you're really excited. But kind of stepping in gradually and giving your brain and your heart time to acclimate and figure out what do I really want? Like you were asking at the beginning of the call, like what is it that really fits for me? Do I want to be someone who's a swinger? Am I solo poly? Am I, you know, do I want a, a big poly family or just, a, you know, a why? Or how do I want to... What works for me and the people around me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is the hardest great thing, slow, slowing down, but that's great advice, especially when we're feeling that new relationship energy and we want to get married <laughs> in a month and your friends are like, uh, what's the hurry? Can you wait like a year before you get married? <laughs> <laughs> or at least another yeah, week. 
Yeah. <laughs> cool. So what are some of the challenges when um, when you're already established in non-monogamy and you want to add new relationships into your life or you're in a couple and you want to add a new relationship? What are some of the challenges that you see there? Um, I think keeping a balance. I, I often see... Um, and you'll see really as people that have been through poly or open relationships for a while, there's kind of a patience like, okay, the new relationship energy is kicked in. I'm, you know, I, I get that my partner is going to be really involved with this other person for a while, but I don't think it's fair to neglect um, the, the relationships we came in with, even though the new relationship energy can be really delightful where everything's that rosy glow and all you want to do is talk about that other person. Making sure that you remember what important to you in the relationships you have you had pre-existing and um, setting aside time for them as well because sometimes you can mm-hmm. come out of that new relationship energy and you have a lot of cleanup to do because mm-hmm. you know you've neglected and not paid attention to someone or you've made them your sounding board as you went through every agonizing detail of the new relationship all right yeah that's a little tricky because sometimes your pre-existing partner has to hold space for you if you crash and burn in another relationship and you're feeling grief or loss. Um, that's yeah. quite a challenge sometimes. But I think people get good at that over time. Wouldn't you say that um, people are able to not only feel compersion and happiness for their partner, but also to be able to hold space for their grief? Yeah, I, I do. I think that over time, especially if you like the first time you might be like, oh, I'm afraid my partner's going to leave me. If you've never been in an open relationship before, it's like, oh my God, this could be the end. They really like this person. And then the second or third time, because if you're going, it depends on how, what the agreements are in the relationship. But if you have one where, you know, it's okay for anyone to fall in love with each other, you're going to go through that several times, probably at least. And then like the third time you're like, oh, I've seen this before. This is not so scary. This is, you know, this person has come back to me each time and I love this person and I want to make it work. Um, I think it's really useful to make sure you know why you want to have an open relationship and what you're looking forward to creating and maybe having an agreement if you have primary partners to make sure that you're on the same path. Like, do you just love a tribe of people and you love to have lots of love? That's great. Um, But making sure you both have an agreement on are we having someone that we see on the side once in a while or is this person, are we looking for someone who's a solid member of our inner tribe? What, what are we open to? What are the agreements around the relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And so I, I noticed that you also specialize in working with shy people. So yes. how can shy people reach out and meet more people to date when they're shy? <laughs> <laughs> I love this question because I am. I, I was the painfully shy girl in high school that would walk along the lockers with her head down and her books clutched to the front of her chest, and I really had to work through a lot of that. I do think that a lot of shyness comes from shame. Um, it's different from introversion. People that are introverted are tend to be quieter, whereas shy people mm-hmm. feel like maybe there's something not quite right with them, and they're, they're afraid of interacting with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked with so many people. I teach a class called uh, Sex for the Shy and Awkward, and it was really funny the first time I offered it. I was um, out in Albuquerque at one of the, of the sex toy uh, self-serve, which is a great sex toy show, store. And, and there, what was the name of like, it? You don't uh, self-serve, 
it's a wonderful it's a wonderful sex toy store, women owned, very progressive. Um and Self serve. Uh, yeah. Um okay. and they came some of the people that came in, I was like, You don't come across as shy at all. Like these were pretty confident looking people that were greeting everybody and I'm like you know, like, are you in the right class? And they're like, yeah, when it comes to sex, it's really hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about flirting. And um, just seeing that everybody, most people struggle, especially around sex and flirting. Like, we're not really taught how to be confident there. We have a a sense of inadequacy or lack of confidence around being sexual with each other and shy. And the biggest aha moment, and I, I was 40-something when I realized this, and I feel a little ashamed because I had a PhD and um, <laughs> I was running a lab at the time, but uh, uh, someone said, everybody feels awkward sometimes. And I was like, no, I'm the only one who feels awkward. Like, I really <laughs> didn't get that other people, like, because I was comparing the insides of my head to other people's outsides, and to their their outsides looked like, a little awkward once in a while, but never like I felt all the time and to have people start opening up and sharing that wow I felt that was so like that was so awkward I can't believe I said that this was it was so healing for me and I stopped judging myself so hard beautiful yeah I think it it helps so much when we can all share who we authentically are because we feel so isolated in our our issues we think we're the only one with them (laughs) so yeah. Well, they think it's the such a gift to other people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the shyer we are, I think the more we want to project, project perfection and act like we have it all together, which actually just reinforces that shell. And I actually teach people who are shy and awkward to leverage what they're actually feeling and just being authentic. So if they're a party at a party, they could, you know, if it's true for them, I encourage them to find three to five people that aren't hanging out in the center. Like try to find other people that are shy and just as an act of service, go up and talk to them. And one of my lines that I use is an authentic line is I never know what to say at these things. It's always so awkward. And 99% of the time the person's like, Oh, thank God. Me too. I thought I was the only one. And you know, then all of a sudden I start talking to people and I'm having a really good time when I used to like, hang out in the corner and wait, like, can I leave yet? Is it over yet? This is horrible. I love that, Kathy. That's quite a gem. I never know what to say at these things. It always feels so awkward. What a beautiful piece yeah. of advice to, for people to take away from this. That was excellent. Thank you. Sure. So uh, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, Kathy. The time just flew by. It was really interesting talking about all these topics with you, and I, I really thank you for focusing on this niche for shy and awkward people and people with body image issues. Um, it's, it's just so important. And there's so many of us that, that have it when um, people don't realize how many people are carrying that around. Uh, it's just really valuable. So thank you for doing that work. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for creating the show and having people on so we can talk about this. I know when I first was struggling with a lot of this stuff, there was nothing out there. And the fact that people can just tune into a free radio show and get to hear you with other people and different perspectives, that's really beautiful. Awesome. Thanks. Um, so before we end the show, I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you. And I believe you also have a gift for our listeners. 
Yeah. Um, we're focusing right now on body image because we're seeing more and more when we work with people that lack of body confidence really keeps people from deep connection. Whether you just want to be more effective at work, you want to have a deeper relationship with your one partner, or you want to have deeper relationships with 20 partners and some friends, the fact that we often walk through the world unconnected from our bodies and feeling shame about our bodies, um, especially when we get naked in bed, it's really vulnerable that we're seeing that uh, lack of body confidence is really blocking people from moving forward. Um, it makes if, if they don't feel confident, their relationships feel a little more shallow. They don't feel as fulfilled or connected. And sex is really hard. It's hard to be really relaxed and passionate and involved in the moment if you're thinking about, I have to hold my tummy in, or I hope he doesn't see this other thing part about, of my body, um, or did I shave my legs well enough? You were all caught up in this story. And so we have a program. We have a, a, an hour webinar where we talk about the three mistakes people make around body image and give people steps forward so they can anchor a more positive relationship with their body and enjoy life and their bodies more. So if, if anyone wants the free webinar, it's at theintimacydojo.com forward slash three dash mistakes. So the number three dash mistakes. Um, we'll take you to the webinar and you can watch that. And um, we have a number of programs and free videos for people that want to move forward because we know how much people can get stuck and we don't want anyone anyone to be stuck there. My big thing is I don't want to wake up at the end of my life wondering where my life went and why I hadn't got to experience things. And that's what got me started on this journey years ago. And I don't want anyone kind of saying, wow, that, where did my life go? I want them all out there living amazing experiences. Thank you so much. So you're offering this um, webinar for free to our listeners, huh? Yep, and they're, if they're interested at the end of that, we do have a, a program that they can, if they want to go deeper, um, there's a program after that, but the webinar is free. Um, and then there's, we're, having a, we're offering a program where we'll do more in-depth work for people that want that with guided visualizations, meditations, and some of the tapping work we do to help people break through some of the stuck feelings they may feel about their body so they can have a really good relationship with themselves and with other people. Beautiful. And can you repeat the name of your website? I'm assuming people can reach you. Uh, there's a contact page on your website? There is. Um, or they can also email me at Kathy at the Intimacy Dojo. And the website is theintimacydojo.com. And the webinar is at theintimacydojo.com forward slash the number three dash mistakes. Three dash mistakes. Okay, great. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Kathy. It was just a pleasure, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was, it was delightful. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.